Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about book publishing. Yes. <laughs> I love talking about this. It's my new favorite topic. Yeah, you got to forgive us for being a little bit book obsessed. We're uh, recording this on the day that Rochelle's new book went live in the Amazon store, and it's very exciting. It's very Number exciting. one in entrepreneurship right now. Yay! I know, that's so great. Um, so we were talking about, we've been talking about books a lot because of that, and um, a couple of episodes ago, we got some questions from a listener, Jonathan Hall. He sent in a whole bunch of questions. He basically said, "I, you know, he's like, you guys uh, on the episode said you could talk about books all day, and I'd like to hear that. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, we are going to go through, he sent in uh, eight questions which were yeah. great and we're going to kind of riff on some or all or additional ones of those uh, based primarily on I, th I think primarily on Rochelle's recent experience but um, I've got a lot of experience going back to God I don't know 2006 so uh, maybe it's out of date though so take it with a grain of salt but but Rochelle's super up to date on the most modern techniques for self-publishing a book see what happens when you ask us to expound <laughs> got an opinion about this you bet i do <laughs> darn straight no shortage of opinions uh cool all right so uh, where do you want to start where's the best place to start we've got these questions in front of us well and um, they're great questions um but i think maybe where we should start because i think it'll help frame the answer to the questions for the individual listeners yeah. is you know what do you want the book to do for your business I mean, because mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about um, who's the book for, what should the book accomplish for your ideal reader, but there's also what does this book do for your business? What do you want it to do? Because I mm -hmm. think, um, Jonathan, in your experience and mine, we've had different objectives for our books, and so we've done different things because of our objectives, not because of you know extraneous reasons. So I think we need to start there. Yeah, absolutely. And we did a whole episode on this uh, a while back about how a book would fit into your business. And the, the two, you know, I think, I'm trying to remember, I feel like we also talked to Jill Conrath about it. And she, we kind of have two ways and she came up with a third, although it's escaping me at the moment. Um, but but to me, the, the two main reasons to write a book for a business like we all are making, these sort of authority style businesses or expertise-based businesses, to me, there's the 300 page business card and there's the revenue stream. And it's not like they're polar opposites or anything, or it's not like they're mutually exclusive, but it really helps going into it to know which one you're writing because it's going to change a lot of the downstream decisions. It's going to change a million things. It's going to change a million things. So I just remembered what Jill's third one was. Mm -hmm. she, she would kind of go into a rabbit hole in something that she thought was fascinating that she thought her audience should know. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a third one. Yeah, because she didn't really look at her books as a revenue stream, even though, you know, I believe they are. And uh, they're certainly popular enough that they're driving other aspects of her business. But I think that was what she had said. That makes sense. I, I kind of see that as a subset of business card, but okay. Mm -hmm. Like if it's, it, to me, I guess the, I guess a clear question is, do you care about the, the revenue or not? Like, is it primarily about making money directly from the book or is it going to be... You know, even though it's for sale, is it more? Is it functioning more as a marketing tool to attract big clients, to get you to speak at keynote at conferences? Is you know to position your business as 
maybe the de facto positioning of your business becomes the positioning of the book because that's what everybody knows about. So, you know, are you trying to make money with it or are you really just directly or indirectly from yes, it? that's that's the key because that's the, those are the two choices. And mm-hmm. you, you might make different decisions depending on whether you want direct or indirect. Yes. So how do you how? OK, here we go. How would you even decide which one of those two things you would go for? I, th- I think it would depend on where, at least for me, for where I, I'm at in that particular moment. So if I'm in a place where I say, you know what, I, I'm just, I'm not seeing the revenue generation that I want, and I can see the, a path for this book to do that, then I would focus on revenue generation. If you're more worried about awareness then I would focus on kind of the business card piece. It, mm-hmm. And I think the other question is whether your book is sort of like a big idea book or right. a how-to book, some combination. I mean, there's a lot of different styles of books that you can write to demonstrate your authority. Yeah. Yeah. I, I once read, I think it was Chris Brogan, who's written loads and loads of books, uh, who he self-publishes. Well, okay. So we're, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, myself a little bit. Um the, the books that he thinks are going to be super niche, like like that are a very specific thing for a very small audience, all things considered, he self-publishes because he still wants the idea out in the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but he, but he knows it's like, you know, if, if he sold 10,000 copies or, or I don't know what his numbers are, but it's, you know, maybe even, even like 50,000 copies, he'd be like, okay, this is, this is saturated the market that I would, that is for mm-hmm. versus when he's got a more, um, a topic that would be of interest to a more broad audience, then he would try and reach a broader audience. So it, it makes sense. It's like if you want to reach a broader audience, then it does make sense to go through a more traditional publishing channel or at least something closer to a traditional publishing channel so that you're going to, the distribution is better. It's, so yeah, like, it's about the distribution. Yeah. So, I mean, theoretically, like in theory, the entire internet can distribute to anywhere on the planet, especially if you're just doing digital books. Um, but in practice, it's just not real. It's not realistic mm-hmm. to imagine that you're going to get the same. Like there just aren't people searching uh, Google for, I mean, they're searching Amazon for the book, for a book, right? So they're, so if your website's not going to come up in Amazon, which it isn't, <laughs> then. Yeah. <laughs> well, and plus publishing is a machine. I mean, and conventional publishing, they have built a machine mm-hmm. to distribute or to let's call it codify the mm-hmm. the book, so they have a process to make sure that the content is as good as it can be, and then mm-hmm. they're really a distribution machine. Yeah, and that's what and you it, want them for. But the irony is, when you want them, when you need them, they usually don't want you <laughs> because they want right. you to have um, enough name recognition that you're helping to drive the sales of the book. Yeah, right. So, so the the litmus test in my mind, and I, I may I. I reserve the right to change my mind about this, but I, it's hard for me to imagine going with a traditional publisher ever in the future. But I, I do see that there's a glimmer of possibility that I would be interested in that. That said, the, the question I want to ask myself regarding whether or not I would go with, I would pursue a traditional publishing deal. Does this book make sense for me and for the reader to be in an airport bookstore? So like Mm, in my Right. So that's to me, that's the litmus test. Like if mm-hmm. I, if I want like my uh, iPhone book makes no sense for that to be an airport bookstore. No sense. Um, it, it, I didn't, uh, it made other, I, I wanted to go with a traditional publish, publisher for other reasons, 
But now, today, looking back on it, if I was going to make the decision uh, whether or not to pers- to go through all of the rigmarole of trying to get a traditional publishing deal, it would be because I believed that it should be in an airport bookstore. Mm-hmm. That's my litmus test. If I'm not writing a book, and like the current book that I'm working on, it could have, I was, when I started, I was like, I think it's time for me to write an airport bookstore book. Like that's how I thought about it. But now that I'm writing it, I'm like, this isn't an airport bookstore book. It's just not, it's, it's uh, turning into something different, but that's, I don't care. That's fine. But anyway, that's the litmus test that I would use. And to, to summarize your point before that, I think it's kind of, it depends. Your book strategy depends on your overall business strategy. I like that a lot. And I, but I think here's the thing, this wouldn't be true with you, but there's a danger with that, which is that it's about ego. Because there's a, I mean, certainly there's a part of me that would love to have my book in the airport bookstore, but it doesn't really make sense. I don't think the average consultant and freelancer that's going to want my book is going to pick it up in a bookstore. Maybe. I mean, I'd like, love to think that they would, but it wouldn't drive my strategy. So part of this is getting really, really clear on what's actually going to drive the business versus what's going to feel good to you. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do the things that'll feel good, but when we're talking about making big decisions, I think you want them to be you know, strategic and ultimately um, goal-driven. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You want You want all of your tactics to align with the strategy. So um, cool. All right. So let's say you can, that's a good point too. Like if you, of course you want your book to be, you know, you, you imagine like, yeah. oh, I'm going to be at Barnes and Noble and a line of people show up to like have me sign the book. Yeah. Like I get, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I've definitely been be there. Awesome. Yeah. It'd be great. But like if you're, if you're thinking, I guess, if you can think with, you know, take your ego out of it and think more pragmatically about it. It's like, how's this going to function in the business? Do I want a lot of money sooner? Do I want to get this idea out sooner? Or is this really about reach, long tail, maybe a mm-hmm. little bit of money, maybe you'll hit a home run, who knows, but it's a different move. Well, and the, the whole self-publishing versus um, conventional publishing is kind of a big thing to think about. And, you know, I did have the opportunity to have my book shopped and I elected not to take it because it would take so long mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, unless you are a marquee star, and when I say marquee, I don't mean like George Clooney, but I mean marquee where you have uh, written multiple books, you've proven that you can sell books, or you are already well known in a fairly broad sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, con- conventional publishers aren't terribly interested. And most of the deals now for our kinds of books, authority books, we're not talking about like J.K. Rowling's next opus, mm-hmm. um, most of those deals require you to pay them. So it's oh, not right. where they're going to hand this. you. Yeah, I know. It's it's totally upended. And I'm not saying that, that you can't get a deal, that deals do happen, but often you are paying them and you are paying them to physically create a hardback book, to physically distribute those to bookstores and help kind of jumpstart the introduction of your book to a broader audience. And there's some advantages to that. You have to decide whether it's $20,000 worth. Um, But having just gone through the self-publishing process with Amazon and hiring everyone to do my everyone for it myself, I have to confess there's some appeal in having somebody else do all the heavy lifting. Yeah, (laughs) it took a lot of time. But it raises an interesting point. I I wonder. I wonder when people ask whether or not they should go with a traditional publisher or to self-publish. I wonder if they're thinking, "Oh boy, I'll finally have time to write that book that I want to write if I get a big advance from." 
uh, a publisher and it's the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the other piece is that I think there's this idea that, um, you know, it's like the good housekeeping seal of approval. Oh, publisher X wants me. Like, mm-hmm. boy, if Random House was calling me saying, we want to sign you, I mean, that would be pretty exciting, right? Sure. Yeah. But it's really, I, I think there's this thought that then you don't have to do anything but write <laughs> and edit the book. And on one level, that's true until the book releases. Yeah. Because unless you are getting major resources from that that publisher you're still responsible for telling people about your book for engaging mm-hmm. people like all the things that I've been doing I would still have done if it was conventionally published I wouldn't have had to worry about the editing and finding the editor I'd have to do the edit part myself of course and I wouldn't have worried about the book cover other than choosing from some options but I would still if if I was smart I would still be doing all the, the same lunch activities or variations yeah. of them I remember hearing an interview, I'm pretty sure it was Tim Grawl interviewing Dan Pink, and it it was, and Pink said something to the effect of, um, and this was not his first book, it, it was, it was you know, he was like three or four books in, and he was like, yeah, I'll go to the opening of an envelope. Like, if somebody's willing to, <laughs> somebody's willing to host a book signing in a, a little used store or a little bookstore uh, or a big bookstore, or whatever. He's like, I'd go all over the country and and sit there, and only two people show up, and I'll talk to those two people, and I'll thank them for their interest and for spreading the idea. And I'll, he, he's like, I'll go to book clubs, like book, like a. I don't think I'm making this up. I I think he said, like, if a reading, like a group of people were like, oh, we're 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 reading your book, will you come? Like, it, I'm pretty sure he said this. Mm-hmm. He certainly came across like. That was the kind of thing he would do if it was if it was feasible at all. He'd be like drive an hour to go sit at a book club and discuss the ideas with like, you know, 10 people in a room. And I was really like, I was like, wow. I mean, (laughs) you know, that guy, that's impressive. Um, But, you know, but I can I can actually see I wouldn't have done that. Uh, I guess I did that with the with my tech books. I would kind of do that actually by flying around to conferences. So I did do a lot of traveling, and it was specifically to talk about the ideas in the book. And I was really an evangelist for the concept in it. So I was really driven to spread the message, even though it was technical. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I mean, in a certain sense, I did that, but it felt very organized by the publisher because the the publisher made all of those deals very easy. It, yeah. if not completely did for me. And I just sort of like, where do I go? When do I go? What yeah, do I bring? And my clients that have done conventionally published books, that's typically how it works. Um, there's some kind of an organized, there's not always a book tour, but there's some kind of an organized marketing piece. You're usually assigned a PR rep, a media rep, a marketing rep, um, and they're the ones that are responsible. And now, of course, the process has changed a little bit because they want to get you on podcasts. Right. They there's still some that are still working radio, which for certain books, like I have some clients that have published some political books, radio is actually really good for them. But mm. for most of us, radio is a little old fashioned. You know, yeah. pod, podcast is a little bit more uh, appropriate. And then if you have somebody like James Clare, well, he was all over the place. I mean, he was on mm-hmm. the Today Show, the Good Morning America, the Canadian version of that, the New York Times. I mean, he was everywhere because he had that giant machine behind him. Yeah. I actually emailed him and said, you know, to congratulate him on a, an appearance on Good Morning America or some show like that. And, uh, and he was great. I mean, so tight, so you know just like took the questions perfect answer just amazing it was so tight 
and I emailed him and I said, man, great job on GMA. That was, that was fabulous. I'm like, did you, how did you train for that? You know, like, did you just like media training or like, like a coach or something? And he's like, he emailed back and he's like, nah, that was like the 200th one that I did. (laughs) I was like, oh my God. Right. Not everybody gets better. (laughs) He did a good job. Yeah. He, yes, he super nailed it. But uh, yeah, I mean, so the point, the point we're both making, I think, is that even with a traditional publisher, there's a lot of legwork still. They're not going to do everything for you. There's, there's, there's still a lot to it. And, you know, it, is it, would it be helpful to have someone organize that? Heck yeah. Or like the intros that you need or the, the little black book that you need to make those introductions. That's huge. Like I, you know, even if, even if, well, you've, I mean, I feel like your book currently like your the authority code i feel like there's a lot of business oriented shows or entrepreneurial oriented shows that you know not good morning america i don't think but <laughs> probably not probably not but but something you know where you could just be like the you show up and answer questions about you know mission let's say or something mm-hmm. and that would be I feel like you're set up to succeed from that because if you did find that sort of those business shows, uh, the book's on Amazon. So that's the first place people are going to search, right? Like if I showed up on one of those shows, which I couldn't, like there's, I don't have a book that would put me on a show like that. Um, then, then there would be no, it wouldn't, I feel like it wouldn't help me that much because they're not going to go to my site. They're going to go to Amazon. Yeah. It's, that's why the revenue question becomes so challenging Right, because mm-hmm. if if we put our two, your last book with this one, and you put them next to each other, and if we had exactly the same amount of sales, you'd make a lot more money than I would directly oh, from yeah. the book, right? Because you're going to keep a bigger percentage. Now, the the dirty little secret that nobody seems to know about Amazon is you can actually price your book up to two hundred and fifty dollars. So it's not that you can't that you have to keep it to nine ninety five or twenty two ninety five or whatever the magic number is. Um, but it's just that you you basically, in rough terms, you keep 70% of the revenue. So you're giving away some to Amazon in exchange for a theoretically broader distribution. And I think that decision is different for every person. Right. Yeah. So when I published Early Billing is Nuts, which in my opinion is my most successful book for on a couple of different metrics, um, it, I, it was since it was so much about pricing. I was like, I want to price this however I want to price it. And I don't want it to be next to a whole bunch of direct competitors that are cheaper. It'd be kind mm. of like putting myself on Upwork. So I was like, it, yeah. like philosophically, I can't put this book on Amazon. So I'm just going to sell it myself. And there are all the pros and cons that come with it. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, like from a, you know, it, well, oh God, I don't know where to, where to go with it. I mean, like, and it sells regularly, consistently. Like I, I pay my mortgage every month and then some from this, you know, these digital files that people download from my website. So it's not, I'm not getting rich off of it, but it would be, but I'm keeping 98% of the money yeah. that comes in of a minimum $50 purchase compared to 70% of what I would probably ha- feel I had to price it at to be competitive on Amazon at like, 17 bucks or something you know 70 percent of 17 i need to sell a lot more yeah for the money and i wanted so so i didn't think it made sense on amazon for philosophical reasons uh and then the other thing was i wanted it to be a direct income stream i didn't want it i wasn't treating it as a business card although it has has functioned in that way as well Mm -hmm. 
So just totally different strategy, just completely different. Yeah. And I think that's what's important for the listener is that, you know, I don't think either one of us is saying there is one way to go. It just depends on what on what you out what outcome you want mm-hmm. from it. And and I think the other thing is either way, you've got to be willing to put yourself out there for the launch. Whether yes. somebody else publishes it or you do it yourself, you've got to put yourself out there. And the, when you were talking about Dan Pink going to these meetings, I was thinking about the old way that people used to sell books. And I, I've had clients like this in L.A. where they open their trunk and they show me the box full of books in the back. Right. Yeah. And so they go to an event and there's always a box of books. And if if they're invited, they may be there now with a you know, a way for people to pay them and buy the books and get them signed. But more often yep. than not, it's, oh, why don't you come out to my car? I've got some more books out here. <laughs> I've had clients who would take 20 bucks and hand people a book. And they were thrilled. They were yep. thrilled. But that's that's the old way of doing things. And I don't really see that as, as a way to sell an authority book. Not that you can't, but not I don't that think that's going to be your, your best way to it's sell this thing. Not very leveraged. No, and I have to say, my trunk is very small. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I've 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 definitely stuffed iPhone uh, the building iPhone apps in my uh, roll on rollerboard, yeah. whatever it's called, and yeah. gone to Vegas or whatever. Um, yeah, that just feels weird these days. Okay, so let's get to some of these questions. So we, we've we've I think probably talked enough about like the big picture stuff. Um, one thing that I will do differently with my next book, which will be self-published, uh, is get an editor. In the past, mm-hmm. I've kind of crowdsourced that function, uh, but I really, I really like the idea of doing uh, a second pass. Like every every time I publish a new self-published book, I'm like, I I take every all the production aspects. Well, not every time, but I gen I I desire I want to take the production aspects up a notch. Spend more on the cover, get a better cover, uh, mm-hmm. get an editor this time. Those sorts of things. Um, so, so you are like a primo expert on this right at the moment. <laughs> so, what? Let's start with this. What kind of editors are there? So, the, the two main kinds of editors, and there's proofreading, which is sort of like an editorial function. Is there's a developmental editor, and those are the editors that basically look at the big picture. Is this a book? Does it hold together? Do the ideas make sense? I mean, if you were writing a novel, they would comment about your plot the storyline, the characters. So big picture. And they're not looking at, you know, is there a typo in in paragraph seven in chapter 10? Um, And then you've got a copy editor. And sometimes those are the same person, but the copy is exactly what it sounds like. They're going through the copy to say, does this work? Not necessarily is it grammatically correct, although there's some of that, but does it work for your book, for your voice? And then the last piece, and I used all three of these, is a proofreader. And lots of people don't use a proofreader. They'll use a copy editor and stop there. Um, But if you were getting your book published by a big publishing house, after the typical editors are done, there is a proofread. And something called indexing, which has to do with making sure that everything is connected to everything else like if you have a a, an appendix and they say oh we talk about this on page three somebody who goes through and does that so that proofreader is that last detailed review and you can have some of those you can have all of them or you can have none of them but i definitely Mm -hmm. do not recommend none yeah 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 so 
what and, and i don't know if anybody listening cares about this but technical books also have a technical editor so they are ah, the ones that point. make sure that if you've got like code or something like that you know code or specifications or something they're the ones that actually test it and make sure it works um so but that's probably irrelevant but that's the only other one that i can think of no, i I, was, I think that's important because money books are another example where they're talking about like tax code stuff that mm-hmm. most authors have some it's usually not just one person um they usually have three or four people who have agreed to test everything and go through their examples make sure the examples make sense you know do the numbers add up if i multiply this number by that is that really what it is mm, yeah. um is that is it that section of the code code so yeah those reviews are important for certain kinds of authority books Hmm. yeah that's uh, that's a good point that's fair so all right so how would how did you find the editors that you use which ones did you use and how did you find them well what's interesting is i wanted really good editors because all of my book experiences up to now have been with clients Right? It wasn't my own book. And so I've worked with some really top-notch people, and I wanted somebody as good as that for my book. And so it's interesting. I started with Upwork because I thought, well, it's sort of like a step up from Fiverr, and let's see what's out there. And I couldn't find a developmental editor. I found some people that called themselves editors, but I sort of felt like they were more of a, of a copy editor or even a proofreader. And then... I don't know why I didn't go there first, but then I, I remembered, because I've been getting their emails forever, Readsy, that's R-E-E-D-S-Y, and it's a site, you know, sort of by authors, for authors, and they have a marketplace. So I did a search there, and I found many developmental editors. Now, what's interesting is they have so many genres, and so, of course, what I was looking for was, you know, this business um, nonfiction genre. And there's not as many people, frankly, that specialize in that. So uh, I would, I did an extensive search and, and it's, you know, it's sort of like going to a dating site, really. It's got, you know, it has their picture, it has some of their titles, you know, so you can see the images. It has what they say about what they've done. Yeah. And, um, and I think I talked about this on the show once before. I, I found three, uh, any of which would probably be good, but there was one in particular of the three that I really, really wanted. And I, I, she waited till the very end of the open period. I gave them like a week to respond, and I kept thinking, oh, she's not gonna, she's not gonna take the bait. She's not gonna take the bait. <laughs> but um, she did, and she was the middle price of the three. I went with her, and really, she was terrific loved working with her. But what was interesting about using Readsy, which I think other people might enjoy, is that there was there was a measure of security around it. In other words, if she didn't show up, if you, so everybody gets to name their own payment requirements. So in her case, it was half up front and half at the end. So I, I paid the upfront. I think it goes into like an escrow account with Reedsy. And if she didn't show up, if she didn't do what she said she would do, I had some recourse, mm-hmm. which made me feel better than just sort of finding someone online through a search who wasn't specifically recommended. Right. Okay, and of course, cool. you know, you can, you can ask for referrals as well from your, you know, your self-published friends. But m- most people who are going to go through the editorial process with a publisher, those, those editors are not available. That has never worked for me. Yeah, I've never gotten... It, what always happens is if somebody even had an editor that they used, they're not doing it anymore or they're they're booked. It's just never worked for me yeah. um, to, to 
get word of mouth. And I I tried that with this one. Before I found Leah, um, there was a book I really liked. It was actually a money book. I I thought the editing was so good. And I looked up in the credits or the acknowledgments, and sure enough, there was the editor's name, but it was a a very regular American name. I'm like, how am I ever going to find this person? So I tried, and finally I just wrote to the author and said, hey, I'm trying to find this person. And she said, oh, she's terrific, but she's not editing anymore. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. So, um, cool. So Reedsy. Now, did you find, what was the experience like in it as the creator? So like was, you said it was a fabulous experience, but, uh, you know, that's great. I'm curious how much the, how much change she brought to it and were you like, I, I guess where I'm going with is I know people who I haven't had a bad editor, but I know people who have mm-hmm. and they just fight yeah. the whole time. And yeah. it's just like, no, that's not the book I'm writing. And they're like, well, yeah, but the book you're writing is not that great. So do it like this, you know, and it's just, you can imagine that's torture. And if, and oh. if, if the editor is from a publishing company, you don't have a ton of recourse. So we're, well, I guess the, the, I know it already, I already know it went well, but like, were you concerned that she would be like, er, I think you should do it. I think you should come at it from another angle. Yeah. And, or, or was there any of that? Well, First of all, I I selected her because she came out of uh, Wiley, amongst others. And Wiley is a publishing house I really respect. She also was the editor on two books that I really respected. And that was part of my vetting process. So I felt like she was the real deal going in. But the other thing that I did, um, and I, I did this with the proofreader and the book cover designer as well, is I said, listen, I'm going into this with my voice. I want it to be as well written as possible within my voice. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at. Yes. Yeah. I do not want to change my voice. And especially when I went to the proofreader, because I had sentences that, you know, were not complete sentences. And I wanted I knew that, but I wanted them that way. Right. That's, yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that was that was the challenge. But what what Leah did for me that was really important is and she gave me great feedback on the first book I mean the kind of feedback you sort of need to hear when you're showing your work to somebody for the first time um so she was very kind and and helpful but the thing that she did that was really big that for me that I think was was worth three times the fee is the first draft had way more of the workbook exercises throughout it and she said you know it just doesn't read like a book with that many exercises. I think you need to go back. You need to pull out the exercises wherever they're not an integral part of the book. And, you know, I'd already planned to have the workbook. So she said, you know, put them in there. And then I think it needs to be longer, which shocked me. (laughs) I had expected cut this, cut that. And so, and she gave me specific advice on where to add content. Because at that point I was kind of like, okay, I guess I can write more, but I said what I had to say. How am I? Gonna, I don't. I didn't want to make it fluff, but it was very pointed. So those kind of developmental um, edits. Well, I don't even want to call it an edit. It was really an editorial letter where she said, "Here's big picture what you need to do." I think she she edited maybe like five things in the copy itself at that point. It was this is what you need to do, and this is how how many words roughly I think you probably want it. I didn't get quite to her number because it just didn't make sense. I couldn't think of anything else I wanted to say that wouldn't be extraneous. 
Um, yeah, so it, it really worked for me in that way. And then the second edit is the copy edit, at least the way that I had it set up. And that's where she actually went through and made lots of changes. And it was really funny because I had no idea how often I used certain words, mm-hmm. even reading them. Yeah. And so um, she would change them like a true authority. I must have said true authority like a gazillion times. And, <laughs> and one of the words that she started using was proper. And I did not, I took all the propers out because I felt like there was a judgment involved in that word. And I got what she was getting at. But that was an example where, I don't know, if she was the editor at a big publishing house, I might not have won that one. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and the flip side is, you know, one could argue, well, that was a terrible mistake. You shouldn't have done that. I mean, so you sort of have to watch out for yourself. I, the way I look at it is when I hire anybody who's an expert on something, I really want to listen to them. I don't want to just say, oh, thank you, and then ignore everything that they told me. But the flip side is I'm not going to just accept everything on face value either. I, it had to make sense for me. Yeah, that's the balance. And to yeah. me, the important part of that story is that you trusted her because of her background and you guys clicked and all that. So you're like open-minded about taking what her suggestions, like like these are these are probably really good suggestions. I just need to know how where my boundaries are in terms of keeping my voice or, um, you know, like proper being judgmental or whatever. Cool. How... Um, how much did you have done before you let her look at it? Oh, I had the whole first draft. So it was so like I had, beginning to end. Yeah, yeah, I had that. And um, so what I did was I, I took the um, the advice of not editing myself. So I wrote, um, I, I wrote for 30 days, I produced 10 chapters. And then after I did that, then I edited. Then I sat down, I actually printed it out so I could see it and I read it out loud to myself which sounds bizarre but I was trying to put myself in the in the shoes of the reader and so I did that and then I I didn't change anything huge I mean I didn't move chapters around or anything like that but I did change some chapter names and I adjusted some stories and things like that and then I gave her the full the full draft and if you want a developmental edit I think you really need to give them the full draft because mm-hmm. they can't know what they don't see Okay. And did she, and is was it did you get the impression from her that it was normal for her to get an entire first draft as like her that like that's the appropriate time for her to come in in her opinion? Uh I don't know actually. Um right. because normally when you're if you're if you're shopping a book for a publisher, the usual rule is 2 to 3 chapters for them to make a decision about whether they want the book. Mhm. But yeah, I, I've never had a client who edited before, or who who didn't submit the full version at once. Once the book had been selected by the publisher, right? Yeah, I'm just I'm just wondering if it would make sense to have a developmental developmental editor review an outline, or is that just there's just not enough there? Well, I like a know. detailed I would, outline. I would ask. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I I honestly don't know the answer. And so I would ask, I mean, on Readsy, what you do is you can put together a summary and say, this is what I'd want. And I'm, I'm, I'd be surprised if somebody wasn't willing to help you. Um, it just costs you less than, you know, having a whole book to review. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, right. Yeah. I, I could imagine, because I feel like, because now you're like, I'm all excited about like getting back to my book. And I feel like, and I, <laughs> when I went back to it, I'm like, you know, I don't know if I changed it's or what, but I feel like... I feel like I want to write a different, it's not a different book, but I want to approach it from a different angle. 
And so, you know, the idea, I'm like, you know, I've got this material. I'm just going to like clean slate, redo the outline. Because the way I did the outline was different than how I would normally do it. It was, a, it was a, I, I did the same thing that when I wrote, before I wrote Hourly Billing is Nuts, I wanted to write the Bible on this. And when I was going to start to write this book, I wanted to write the Bible on it. And then I get to writing and I'm like, I don't really want to write the Bible. On it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, I want, because I don't think, I don't know, when I, when I look at it, I'm like, would I want to read this? You know, like, would I even read this? And it's like, it's, and I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's just my personal style, but I want it to be a little bit more direct. Be like, here. Just do this, right? And like with some explanation to support the fear of taking the action. So like, in other words, like I looked back at what I'd written. I wasn't editing it just like you. I looked back and I had, you know, I don't know, 100 pages, let's say, written. And I'm like, this feels like me. It feels a little pontification-y, even though there's lots of practical advice in there. And I want it to be a little bit more direct. I feel like my style is a little bit more direct. This book could be shorter is my point. This book could be shorter and just as good. And it means a lot of like killing my darlings because I'm like, oh, I loved that. I love the way those two pages came out. But like, who cares? Like, are people looking for entertainment here? You know, me telling my story about whatever. Maybe they are. I mean, Adam Davis's book is like pure stories. Mm -hmm. But that's really, I don't know if that's my style. I don't think that is my style. So anyway, um, I'm going to go back to the drawing board and do, do a fresh outline with a little more clarity and maybe bring some of that stuff in from the, the draft zero. And I think part of that too is, is how does it relate back to, you know, your goal for the book? And I think if you find the right developmental editor, and I'm happy to introduce you to Leah, I I just, I think she's terrific. Um, Somebody who isn't just thinking about the book as a standalone, but the book as sort of part of your brand. And yeah, because that's a real strategic look at a book. And it's kind of the point we've been talking about is that that's really important to get clear on that. And I think writing the outline will help you really get clear on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So cool. All right. So we've talked about what kind of editors there are, how to find one, when to find one. Um, Talked about how a book fits into your business strategically um, oh, here's another question that, that he, that he sent in, Jonathan sent in, um, what are the pros and cons of working with a co-author versus alone? <laughs> uh, <laughs> do you have never a worked... story, Jonathan? I, I sure do. So I've had a bunch of different, different experiences, maybe, maybe a half a dozen different experiences with co-authors. Some, so I'll start with the easiest one, the ones I suppose where I, I was, I wrote one book with an I was in a Slack room with 10, 15 people, and we decided it would be fun if we did a project together. So one person sort of raised their hand to organize the whole thing and kind of heard the cats. And then and then we all took picked an area of expertise and wrote a chapter or two. Mm-hmm. And and by golly, it worked. Like <laughs> it was amazing. Like, like everybody wrote a chapter or two and then the, you know, the, the central organizing person, um, d- did all of the kind of like organizational stuff, all of the tactical stuff, administration and all that. And, and then another one of the, I'm, it's been a long time, I'm probably remembering it wrong. Uh, another person volunteered to do the cover. She had a design background and another person agreed to do the website. He was running a web development shop at the time and so we had all this talent and and we just wrote it and then 
put it for sale and it sold and we split the money depending on, you know, the, like a couple of people got an extra cut because they did more work and other people just wrote one chapter or whatever. And it was super fun and it, it worked out great. It, you know, I got a check once from it, you know, it was like not, the money was like sort of irrelevant. It wasn't like a huge seller or anything, but it was a good quality product, self-published almost by a collective, which was fascinating. Yeah. That's what was striking me as you were saying that, because you've got to have a really good editor who doesn't represent any one voice, but represents the book. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But, you and, know, no, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, so then the, another style of collaboration, I guess. So that, I guess that was co-authors. Uh, other times I've been invited to write a chapter for a book, but you, that's almost just like writing an article. You yeah. know, it's, it's just like, oh, you know, write something about hourly billing being nuts and we'll include it in this book. Um, so you're not really interacting with the other authors. So it's that, that doesn't feel like co-authorship, even though the resulting product makes it look like you were a co-author. Um, and then the, the more traditional style where you've got, you've got you, like two people, two or more people go out and get a book deal or decide to write together. And it's a real partnership. Like you are a team and and I, I have not, that has not gone well for me. So, but it, it, it also happened early in my writing, book writing career. So it was partially that I didn't know how to write a book. And it was, but it was partially that, but there was also a fair amount of like, there's a natural procrastination that can happen with a project like that, especially if you've got a busy day job. We were both working at the same place. Um, and I didn't know how to write a book. So it was like, all right. So uh, I, I kept on rewriting the same two chapters because I was like, oh, <laughs> now I'd get to chapter three and be like, oh, crap, I should have put something different in chapter one. Uh -huh. So I was doing a lot of rewrites. I wasn't making any progress. The other guy was procrastinating or for whatever reason wasn't getting his, his we were supposed to do 500 words a day, Monday through Friday. So it would be like, did you get your words in? Did you get your words in? And I wasn't great about it uh, because I kept rewriting and and I could be remember this wrong. We're going back 20 years at this point, but um, it's like, I was just like, uh, somehow it, somehow my motivation, I'm just a lone wolf. It like really boils down to that. And I just don't like depending on somebody else to get their words in it. It, it, I mean, if let's say the, the co-author was getting their words in and I wasn't, or I'm getting my words in and they're not, Yeah, it's just too many ways for the, for the, for, for resentment to creep in or guilt for me and it's already fraught a fraught enough experience so i just i a big project i'm one of those people who would rather do it alone than have a team what's what's the proverb i think it's in your book if you want to oh. go fast go alone if you want to oh. go far go together go together exactly. i want to go fast yeah. so uh, the the far thing i'm just i stink at it you know i'm just not it's not my jam well so part of it part of it is you know i think it's how you're wired but so I have two very different experiences, neither of which involved me directly, but I have one set of clients, two authors, they write everything together, but they also have their business together and they've been friends forever. And uh, one had never written a book, but it always wanted to. The other one had written, I think, one or two books before they got together. And if their collaboration ever went bad, I never saw it. It's um, they shared writing duties. They'd usually write different chapters and then they would edit each other's chapter before it went to their publisher. 
So it was very collaborative. And then the other one um, was three authors. And that might be the problem point where, as it was relayed to me, um, this is not a book I worked on directly, um, the, the end book is very successful. You would totally recognize the name if I told you. Um, but of the three authors, um, two of them weren't speaking to each other. So the third one was the go-between. Now, how would you like to be the go-between between two warring authors trying to get something out the door? Terror. Yeah, yeah it's, it, that was a mess. So a three might be tough unless you do the collective idea, which you know you see a lot. I, poetry is what strikes me. Somebody's always doing an anthology of poetry. But you can do something like that with, with business books, or you can be... Uh, oh God, I just forgot his name. Uh, it's probably just well, I don't remember. It's a it's a um, a well known uh, make yourself better kind of guy. And what they do is they would go out and offer different authors fifty thousand, or they would require them to pay fifty thousand dollars for the privilege of writing a chapter mm-hmm. that had the famous author's name on the cover mm-hmm. along with theirs. So yeah. you know, there's there's all kinds of ways you can do this to make it work. But I would be very wary of getting into a scenario where you didn't have really clear defined roles and a solid enough relationship that you felt like you could trust them. That's a great point because you reminded me that in 2020, one of the books I was working on was my first fiction book, a science fiction book. And I was working on it with a long time close friend who were both like wicked sci-fi nerds. And we were, we were just having a blast. I, it was so much fun. She's a much better writer than me. So there was like a, like, um, you know, we were starting to slide into specialized roles where, Mm -hmm. you know, she was good at the writing and I was good at the reading. So (laughs) (laughs) no, it was, it was super fun, but, but it's exactly what you just described where we've been friends for a really long time and, and really aligned on the subject matter. So it wasn't like there was going to be a lot of tension around. I mean, the only, the only really real tension was that she has better taste than me. It's like she has, <laughs> she has more refined taste. Yeah. I'm like, I'm more of a little bit more of a Hollywood style. Like I love stories like that. I want a good guy and a bad guy and I want the good mm-hmm. guy to win. Like, you know, it, it, and it's like the hero story. Yeah. I, I love it. I love it. I feel like the more of those, the world has the better. And, and you know, new. You want it new. You want it to be something fresh about it and something different and all that, of course. Or or what's the point? Just go watch Star Wars again. But you know, you want to bring these new characters to life. And I, we, we were just having a blast. You know, we ended up kind of it kind of petered out. We got to a point where it started to get really hard. You know, because we had all the fun stuff was done, and we're uh-huh. like, Jesus, how are we going to figure out this plot? Like we're we painted ourselves into a corner a little bit, or we we got to the part that we were like. You know, and then something will happen, and then this will be the end. <laughs> we got to the, and then something yeah. will happen. Part we were both like, ugh. Oh, that so, hard. Yeah, but oh my god, it's so much fun though. It's yeah, so much. But more that fun that wasn't a, a failure book. of the partnership. That was no, no, no. Just no. it got hard, and it wasn't high enough priority for you to decide to solve it. Yeah, dip below the line, and you know whatever. I mean, I still have that Google Docs tab open in my browser every day. And, like I could just pick up writing right where I left Staring off. Staring at you. <laughs> I know. I know. Honestly, what I should do is switch to a different chapter because I'm just kind of stuck on this one particular scene. 
But oh my God, is it fun? It is so much fun. Yeah, there you go. So even yeah. a lone wolf can have fun in partnership if it's the right situation. Yeah, if it's the right person, the right content. It's I, it really. I think it's all about the the relationship, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and the vision that you have for what you're going to create together. I mean, that's sure. That's the other piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, so have we answered this one? I, I mean, it, it kind of like boils down to how you're wired, how close you are to the potential co-author, um, or maybe your 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 book is going to be a for marketing purposes and you're going to pay 50 grand to be in a volume <laughs> co-authored by i don't know dan pink or somebody or you know just someone who's way more famous than you and you just pay to be on the cover essentially yeah i mean yeah if your pockets are deep enough there's all sorts of ways of course you can do ghost writing too i mean you know there's all those options but i'm assuming here this is you know something it's a book that you want to write and uh, yeah i would choose I would, well, this is just me. I, I would not want to co-author on my first book because I think the you need the experience of going through it to find that voice. And it's hard to find a voice with a co-author. I think, you know, once you've done one and you've sort of figured it out, I think then you could do another one. That's just how I would approach it. I'm not saying never, but I, I would find it hard pressed to recommend a collaboration first time out. I would tend to agree with that as a, as a general rule of thumb. Yeah. Or to flip it around, I would be extra nervous to take on a co-author that had never written a book before. Yeah. That would what be. What if you and I had written a book and I hadn't written one before? I mean, I just, I wouldn't, if I were you, I wouldn't have said yes to that. Well, you'd still be waiting for my chapters. <laughs> you'd be done. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's good general advice. It's like do do your first book on your own. That, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good rule of thumb. Uh, obviously, exceptions to everything, but that one does feel like there's a lot of benefit in it. And I think everybody should write a book. Like like the experience is fabulous. It's so it's so good to have to think that hard about something and have a project that's that big. It's like running a marathon if you're if if you've run shorter distances. You're like, yeah. oh, in in I every could, way, I could do that. Yeah, I you could get, do that. You get to the oh. middle and you're like, what the hell was I thinking? I know, <laughs> and every part of your body hurts. Exactly. <laughs> but you can see the finish line. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so some of these other questions I feel like we've touched on. Um, should I self-publish? We talked about that quite a bit. Um, there's one side question here, which is ebook only or physical book too. Yeah, I, my total focus with this book was on the ebook, but I know so many people who just prefer physical books. So I was curious, like, how hard is it to create a physical book on Amazon? Hello, it is so freaking easy if you're already doing the ebook, right? If you're already so, doing Amazon. Yeah, if you're already doing that. Now, if you're doing it all yourself and, you know, you don't want a pile of books out in your garage, that's another question. But if you're doing it on Amazon, absolutely do the pa- do the paperback as well because the only thing you have to do differently, just think about it from a, a time and money viewpoint, is when you have the book formatted, and there was no way I was going to do that, that myself. I sent that out. And it's Unless you're getting, you're doing something with heavy images um, and a lot of image manipulation, it, it seems the going rate for that is about 200 bucks. So we're not talking about a lot of money. Um, what they'll do is they'll format the paperback first because there's a slightly different, um, what do I want to say? It, it's, you're doing it differently because you're doing it to a specified end size. So 
what that means is you have a small additional expense with a cover because you have to have a front, back, and a spine, right? So you need the artwork for that. And you're going to pay an extra, I don't know, maybe 50 bucks um, to get it formatted properly for the paperback. So absolutely do it because some people just prefer that book and, and it doesn't feel real to them without the physical book. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, I don't, yeah. You, you, you don't offer a physical book, right? No, because I'm not on Amazon. Yeah. Right. If I was, I would. Yeah. But there's no way that I'm mailing out or coming up with my own print on demand, blah, 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 blah. Uh, No. No. I did. It's a lot of work. Yeah. I used, I think it was called blurb.com where I got some galleys printed on some different sizes of hourly billing is nuts. And they came out okay, but they're obviously not formatted properly like they came out okay you get the sense of what you're like oh this is what it would feel like this is what it would look like um but they're clearly not finished products and like you can see registration marks on some of the pages and the 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 back cover is just white you know stuff like that and the spine registration's off so they're not you know they're they're like little artifacts sometimes you know sometimes i send them to people if they want one but um but even even the process so like one of the, uh, one of the things when, when I used to do Ditching Hourly Live, which was like an in-person workshop where for two days people would come in and we sat down. I did a few, three or four of them. And one of the tiers included a signed copy of one of the galleys of Hourly Billing is Nuts. And, send, and I think I only, I think over time I only had to send out three. I think only three people bought like this top tier that included the book. Oh my mm-hmm. God, what a pain in the ass. <laughs> to get to to get the correct address information to wrap the thing to get to print out the addresses or, to, or write out the addresses to go to the mailbox to drop it off one person didn't receive it so i had to make another one and do the mm-hmm. whole thing over again mm-hmm. three books i still am like oh <laughs> yeah. so it, unless all of that stuff unless it is 100% outsourced at it, unless it was as automatic as the digital user experience or, or even my experience, I, I wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. It's like, no way would I do that. Like the box of books in the trunk, mm-mm, not happening. Yeah. Well, it's that shipping just changes everything. It's just, yeah, it has to be totally us... automated. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And the other thing is if you have a physical book um, and it, it depends on what you do with Amazon, I chose their their select program for 90 days uh, where it's you have to offer the ebook exclusively on Amazon for that 90 day period but you can do whatever you want with the paperback and they now have a hardback option as well but you can um, contract with other companies besides Amazon like Barnes and Noble like Ingram um, de- again depending on your book uh, they may be able to get it physically into bookstores if yours is the kind of book that makes sense to be there so there's so many different options that you have with a physical book that I absolutely would say do it only thing I'll warn you about which was so annoying but I there's not a workaround is you can't finalize the cover for the paperback until the contents have been absolutely finalized and formatted because they need to know how many pages Mm -hmm. because the spine has to be exactly the right width or the book will fall apart. Mm -hmm. So um, whatever timeline you're planning on, you'll probably need to add maybe another week in there just to make sure that you've given all of your vendors enough time to put everything together. Mm. 
I heard a I heard a story of an of an author having to do changes after the formatting. So he had to write the exact, he had to change, replace like a paragraph, but it, the new paragraph had to be exactly the same length. <laughs> what a puzzle. Or they have to redo it. Yeah, they have to start yeah. from scratch. Yeah. Oh, and on top of that, when you're on Amazon, um, you then, it's a new book. So that's now the second edition. New, which, new ISBN. Um, a new ISBN, exactly. So, it, yeah, because it, it, I, I was thinking, ah, oh, it's so easy. You just change it. That's one of the great things about self-publishing. Not so fast. <laughs> if you're on Amazon. If you're me, it is that easy. Yes, so like, correct. Like, yeah, somebody somebody will like send in a, oh, this, I mean, hourly billing is nuts. I think all the typos have been found at this point. Uh, it's pretty safe to say, but some links broke. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because yeah. I linked out to stuff that's gone. So, some you know, somebody reports that. I just... Update the file, export it, upload it. Boom. Yeah, version two point three six done. I so that's that, nice. That would have been nice. <laughs> but um, you know, but it's a trade off. Everything's a trade off. Um, so if you if you scan over the list, because I know we're going kind of long, if you scan over the list, is are there any other questions that you feel like we've completely skipped over that would be good to answer? Uh, I guess we've answered the giving the book away versus charging for the book. Maybe we didn't really talk about that. The two questions we didn't answer were that one and what's involved in finding a publisher. So if you if you don't want to self-publish, but that's that's a pretty straightforward answer. Yeah, I, I mean, I felt you kind of touched on it when you were like, well, you just pay them twenty grand and <laughs> they still have to accept it. But, um, the, well, but you the, you do have to get to those publishers, and so that usually means you need uh, you don't have to have an agent, especially in this kind of space. But it can make it faster if you have one. Um, if you don't have one, it adds a lot of time to the process because you've got to find the agent, get them interested in your book, um, and you need some kind of a query letter. Um, but if you go to the publisher that you're interested in, they will typically have submissions guidelines, and they'll tell you what they want. We mm-hmm. want. Uh, a proposal. We want uh, two completed chapters. We want a bio. We want a marketing plan. They will tell you um, what they want. So it's it is pretty straightforward. And the only downside is you just need to add a lot more time. If if it's truly conventionally published, i.e., not by some little indie publisher, but by one of the big ones, you know, it's at least a year from the time you're talking to the time you're going to hold a book in your hands, and usually. No, I, I would say more. Yeah. Yeah. I would. Yeah. I thought you were going to say a year from when you finish your first draft or finish your draft to the point where it's. I mean, I. I, I think. I, I think we talked about it with James Clear. I, I mean, it's. It's a long time. It's it way. Is. It's so so long. Same. It, it comes back to the proverb. It's like I want to go fast. So, <laughs> uh, lightning round. When does it make sense to give your book away for lead gen versus charging? Lightning. I'm not very fast for lightning today. Um, I've got one. So I would say never. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm doing it. So the reason why I'm I'm giving my book away for two days, I'm not doing it forever, but for two days is because... Oh, right. Okay. Fair yeah. point. Yeah. For the launch, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's different. But let me back up. I agree with you that generally never because people do not value what they get for free. They're also typically. not going to spend 10 hours reading something they got for free. They're not going to. Yeah, unless it's exactly. They need to be more enrolled. Yeah, yeah, unless it's exactly on their point. So the reason I did it free for two days is I wanted people to read the book. I wanted some, and you know, and it's it's all just, I'm betting on the come, if you will, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm betting that the people that read this are going to be excited about it and they're going to tell their friends and mm-hmm. that that's going to drive eyeballs to the book. And because of the way that I built in the workbook download, uh, 
those people will get added to my list. So my list will grow. And so those were the most important things. And would I love to have a big line item from book revenue? Absolutely. Will I be happy if that revenue line is smaller, but the other revenue lines from my business increase and my list goes up? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah. I mean, so for a very short time, it does make sense to to create interest and like for the launch, right? In general, what I would say is for lead gen, you don't need to write a whole book to create something useful for people to join your email list or something like that. A a book, for me, a a book is not the right move for lead gen. I think it's just too much work for the person to read it, to unlock the benefit. So at that point in the funnel, if you're trying, if, you know, lead gen to me implies that someone has just, just heard of you for the first time and you're not going to have built up enough trust for them to take some free PDF or ebook and spend 10 hours reading the whole thing, unless you're an amazing writer and you rope them in right on the first page, right on the cover. I mean, so, okay, there's there's perhaps an exception, but if you're that good, then charge for it. So so for me, a lead gen or freebie for lead gen needs to be like one page, real short. Maybe it's a single video, short audio file, something really short to prove to the person that, to train them that if they pay attention to you and spend the time then you will deliver positive ROI. And if you can have them find that out in 30 seconds, that's so much the better. Like, why did it, why does it take 10 hours for them to find that out? You know, if they just heard of you, you want to blow their minds as quickly as possible. And the book is the wrong size for that. So, <laughs> you know, it's just, I just wouldn't do it. I would do something. I would do the, the checklist, the 10 takeaways, the something like that. I, I'm a huge fan of like a, a multi-day, daily email course or like a challenge or something like that for lead gen. Right. Well, what, what doing it free on Amazon will do, which is different than the question you just answered. Um, and there's, I mean, literally there, there, I'm not going to say there are books written about this because I couldn't find one, but there are certainly plenty of blog posts written about the algorithms of Amazon and how to get to the top of this list and that list. But one of the things that free does is it gets people, it gets more eyeballs on your book. If the book is crap, that's not going to help you. Um, And it's, you know, you don't want to do it just to play a game and say, oh, I was number one for two hours at this. Like, who cares, right? What matters is are people engaging with the book? Are they seeing it? Are they getting excited about it? Is it fulfilling the destiny you had planned for your book? That's yeah, it's the idea it, spreading. It, yeah, at the end of the day, that's what's most important. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, do so. There's one question staring at me at the end that maybe we've kind of talked about, but how do you set a price? What was the logic when you set the price for the book? Besides the free launch thing. Um, yeah, well, nine ninety five for the download is just, it's standard. And I thought, I don't want to be cheaper than standard. And um, it always annoyed me when publishers charge fourteen ninety five for the ebook because you deliver it for free. It's like, why does that have to cost so much? So nine ninety five was just, I didn't even think about it. It was just mm. nine ninety five. The paperback I did at seventeen ninety five, and the way that I did that is I looked at what other people in my space were charging for their books. I looked at what kind of books they were. I also looked to see what's the royalty because you know there's a print cost. So mm. 
it's roughly, if you look at what flows back to me, I roughly make the same amount of money on each book, which seems Whether it's sort of digital fair. Or, yeah. yeah. So, I, and I, you know, it's not that I did it exactly that way. And then the other thing was I made sure that when you add, added all the numbers together, um, that they, uh, they totaled eight. It's, what? Because it's lucky. Yeah, I know. Well, because it could have been 1799, 1797. So 1795 happened to be the one where that worked. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. Put put that in your pricing book, Jonathan. <laughs> you are a California native now. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, so I, we're wrapping up. I'll just say um, when I... Uh, hourly billing is nuts and, and also the freelancers roadmap um, the bottom tier price is 49 bucks and I did that very much on purpose because of my overall message first of all and it, and and it's part of the reason why I didn't want to be on Amazon because you're right I think you what you did is the right thing because you're in a store with a bunch of mm-hmm. other stuff on the shelf right next to you and to to that's not the way you want to stand out there. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think pricing it really high on Amazon would have the same effect as pricing yourself really high on Upwork because they're because services are so different from products and books are a very specific kind of product that have a very specific expectations. It's mm-hmm. an extremely old industry, even though we're talking about Amazon. Selling books is an extremely old thing, and there's a strong expectation that something that looks like this costs about this much. Yeah. And trying to justify a really high price would be really difficult in that environment because you've you've got to fit within their template. Like you can only say so many things and you've got all of your competitors right there on the sidebar, yeah. right there you underneath your book. Yeah. So you've got no time and uh, and then pr- and pricing it too low, of course, you know, for permanently, not for like a la- free launch thing, but like pricing it too low permanently does make it look like it's going to be junk, that it's just up there so that people will find the person's name in a search. And when I buy it, it's just going to be the first chapter. Or it's going to be garbage or, mm-hmm. you know, like just just useless fluff. So I think that your st- pricing strategy, other than the adds up to eight thing, I think makes, <laughs> is totally rational. Um, I know that's going to be in your next book, Jonathan. Uh, I just know funny. it is. I can feel it. <laughs> it's very funny. Here's, here's the pricing strategy. Make sure that when you add the digits together, they add up to eight. <laughs> anyway, the... I think that strategy for some for a book that's on Amazon, I think that that is the move. I think that's the move. I didn't want to make that move, and there are other reasons I didn't want to be on Amazon. Um, so I was like, well, I want to price this higher to make my own point so that, that buying the book is proves the point in the first place uh, that I'm trying to make in the book, and I wanted to have it. Um, yeah, and so therefore I was like, ah, eh, for, for many reasons, I was like, I'm going to sell this on my own site because someone who worked hard enough to find this book and come to my site to buy it, they already know they want it. They searched for either my name or the book title because they heard of it from someone else or they heard me on a podcast. They're already sold. And the the fact that somebody would spend $50 on a PDF, you know, in all the other formats, the audiobook and stuff, the fact that they would spend that much on that and have to deal with the complication of getting it into their Kindle reader or how they're going to read it or printing it out, you know, printing, printing out the PDF. Yeah. I'm like... I'm going to have to have someone so convinced by the time they come to my site and go through all of this high friction experience. It's much higher friction. I wish it wasn't, but it is a very high friction experience. Uh, so I have to have them so sold by the time that they even land on that page that I can charge 50 bucks for it and still 
make sales month over month, year over year, forever and ever. Amen. So yeah, so it's just a totally different, like for me to charge $10 for it, it would be silly. I'd just be leaving tons of money on the table. Yeah. Well, it just would totally be out of sync with your message. Yeah, it would undermine my point, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, pricing, I mean, obviously I do an entire podcast on it. So it's a a big topic, but uh, just make sure your digits add up to eight and you'll be fine. (laughs) 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 All right, we should wrap. So for folks who want to follow along at home, just go over to search uh, Amazon for Rochelle Moulton and uh, just endlessly refresh the page to see which categories (laughs) she's number one in today. (laughs) Fingers crossed that stays up there for a while. (laughs) Yeah, cool. All right, folks, hopefully that was helpful. Uh, That's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.